I'm going to ask you to turn, not stand, but turn to Genesis chapter 39. It'll be a little while before we get there. I'm going to reference several other scriptures in the process. <clears throat> I appreciate your attention and hanging in there through the physics last night and the neurology today. And uh, Brother McCracken reminded me why uh, most of you are sitting here tolerating this, and it's because it's new information for you. You're getting a dopamine rush by something new, and so maybe I'm breaking my own rules here, but <laughs> I think Brother Kraken lives on dopamine more than he does food instead. <laughs> oh, we were talking about this before, and I, I love Brother McCracken. Is that he's not putting he is who he is, and that's what makes it's one of the reasons God uses him. And uh, you young preachers don't try to be like them. Don't try to be like somebody else. Uh, you can't be like that. <laughs> You'll have a nervous breakdown if you try to be that, and that's not what God made you. And so, anyway, I appreciate his ministry. So, what has to be done to correct all of this? <clears throat> Whether you've noticed these changes because of an overall addiction to novelty, maybe video games, maybe pornography. Uh, really a lot of the technologies um, again not, not any of them bad in and of itself uh, but the ding of a Facebook page a lot of people the reason they have to go back and check it constantly is because that's become it's become a little bit of an addiction there, it's just there's all kinds of these it doesn't make those things wrong it just means that we were a lot of those things uh, are not the way that we use them maybe aren't expedient because God doesn't want us to be brought under the power of any of them according to what he said through Paul. And, uh, and so I encourage you, think through what, what are the things that maybe have, have affected me and, and I have altered some things here. And so what has to be done? Well, thankfully, the brain that can be rewired uh, for negative can be rewired back the other way. I'm so glad it's not a one-way road. It's part of the grace of God because the grace of God is illustrated in the way the brain is designed in that you can go this far back, this far down, and yet you can come back. And, and the grace of God, part of the way that that grace is illustrated and carried out, I'm convinced is literally in the way that God designed us. And when we're saying, okay, boy, God's grace is coming back and allowing me to still be something for Him, one of the ways that happens is for God to allow our brains to come back not only to normal, but to even better than normal, than it was before, before the process ever took place. And there are two things that the neuroscientists tell us have to happen. And I'm going to explain each one and then give you the wisdom of Scripture. Because even though for ages they haven't known the uh, neurological concepts involved, God's truth is true. And men, the reason that they didn't have to have all this information, you just do what the Bible says and it'll work. But it's just kind of interesting now we can see better why it works and the wisdom of it. First, remember the receptors, and we don't need to have it up on the screen at all, but remember how the receptors reduced. There were four there and then there were two after there was so much dopamine and, and the, the brain kind of does this and it has to cover its ears in order to, to function that it has to reduce the number of receptors and you saw that and actually that can be in the hundreds that's reduced in half or, or less so that process has to be reversed 
And you have to be able to get that number of receptors back. Because remember, those reduced receptors cause that desensitization, which leads to less satisfaction with higher value activities that are lower dopamine producing. So some of the most valuable things you do do not produce excessive dopamine because they're not new. And yet they're extremely necessary. They are extremely valuable. They are involved in building relationships day by day by day by little act after little act after little act. The little things matter significantly. But when those receptors are reduced, they don't register, they don't produce the satisfaction. And so somehow we need those receptors to be restored because otherwise we cease to be content with what made us content before. So there were things that we were content with. We were content with these activities that produced a lot of value, but then we started kind of switching those for things that produced a lot of dopamine instead because it was more of an immediate gratification and it provided a lot more stimulation. And so what we're trying to do is to restore those receptors so some of those activities provide some meaning and the receptors need to be increased back to what they were before the change from the excessive dopamine so that you can learn to become content without the dopamine rush, which is not all bad. It's just not meant to be what our normal diet is. Now, you're not necessarily going to like the answer, but it is what it is. And practically, this is withdrawal. The only thing they have found that allows those receptors to return is a complete withdrawal from the activity that provides enough time for this to take place. It's going through a period of time without the dopamine rushes. And it literally is an abstinence from whatever got you souped up before. Now, I know that's not the answer you wanted. But let me give you some scriptural applications to this. And and I think you'll see the, the benefit of this in order to accomplish you know, this withdrawal and some pieces of that, you're going to have to plan early in a process to avoid any potential of, of allowing this stimulation to do this again. And Paul said in Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Man, that means something specific. Once you get into the rush of it, you ever realized how difficult it is to turn back? That's the reason the wisdom of Scripture says don't even make provision. Arrange your life to where you can have a complete withdrawal and even withdrawal from good things for a time. And we're going to demonstrate that with what Jesus said in a moment. But it, it needs to be a withdrawal from those. And, and to help you withdraw, you might need to be careful that you're not making provision. And whatever you have to do to avoid making provision for the, le- for the flesh to fulfill those lusts, you need to be willing to do. Because you think, I don't know that I can do without this technology. Or, I don't know what I can do without this. Well, can you? you do without your wife because that may be what you lose can you do can you live without your reputation that you've built up over years that can be gone just like that once you're on the other side of that loss I guarantee you you'll be willing to set aside a smartphone if you have to 
I guarantee you, your whole family will be willing to live without a computer in the home if they have to. But society has conditioned us to think, you kidding? Uh, I mean, I, I may as well give up food as give up a computer in the home or the internet. You can function. But provision here is forethought. It's providing care in advance. And men, you, you need to back up a few steps. If you're going to be able to have withdrawal, you're going to have to start back here in the beginning. And you need to go back and take some time, take a process of time maybe this next week if you're dealing with some of this. And get a chunk of time and ask yourself, okay, when I, when I get into this situation where it's like the point of no return, what led up to that? And then what led up to what led up to that? And then what led up to what led up to that? Because it's going to take you a little while to get back far enough where you can get some control. And you might need some help from a wife, from family, from a pastor, from men in this room, from brothers in Christ that will help you when you back up far enough to make some serious changes. And I'm telling you, men, honest, you may just have to make some drastic adjustments. Jesus said, you've heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And there's, there's, there's no mistake. There's no just irony in the fact that the very next verse he says, and if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. He's saying this is serious enough that you've got to be willing to take some drastic measures. And men, if you're not willing to, don't expect the receptors to come back to normal. This is not going to happen. You cannot read Scripture and turn into generalities and just general ideas. James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's a reason that you have to leave every message that you're convicted you need to leave with a plan. Because otherwise it just becomes another layer of deceit and that you get used to the emotion. An invitation, and I, I, I get concerned sometimes, an invitation can be a dopamine rush for some Christians because they get used to the rush of going and saying, this is a decision I'm making, and yet it's like the song in its own wisdom. Someday you've got to get tired of being stirred but not being changed. And it's got to lead to some action that the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit enables you to take some drastic measures. And, and thank goodness that he might not need you to cut out your right eye. How about just cut out a smartphone? I think you can still buy some flip phones somewhere. Do whatever you have to do to not make provision. And you may say, I'm just not willing to do that. I promise you, you will come to a time when you will be willing when the loss becomes one of the guiding principles of my life is the gain-loss principle that we so often are looking at the gain. We can't know the, the end profit of anything unless we subtract the loss from the gain. That's the way all of life works, but we're so good at being attracted to the glitter of the gain, we don't really think about what's the loss side of this equation. And there's a lot of technology you have. They do provide a lot of gain. But you need to think about the loss side and consider... Do I really need to get rid of this? You don't have to have a television. I'm not saying you shouldn't have. 
Just saying you don't have to have one. If those receptors need to be back to normal, you don't have to have a smartphone. You don't have to have a computer. You might need very controlled access, passwords, accountability. You might need to, you might need to let your wife have a whole lot more access. I guarantee you she'll be a good filter. She's the best filter there is. And maybe you need to choose not to be alone. You say, well, I, 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 just, I just can't, I can't function. It's amazing when you know what's at stake. And, I, and I'm convinced even, even if you've lost some of those receptors and, and, and you're, I mean, seriously, and I know it almost sounds humorous in preaching to say, even if your prefrontal cortex has been weakened and your white matter and your gray matter is, has been weakened significantly and you're not able to see risk, that's where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in and says, listen, I'm, the, under the preaching of God's Word or, or under the reading of God's Word, my truth is going to break through all that and I'm going to give you a chance to see this so that you can begin to make some changes in your life. And this is a way, some of you right now are at a point of realizing for a moment just a glimpse, again, I think by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is a supernatural process that goes through any of this stuff that I'm talking about here that says to you, let me give you a glimpse for just a few minutes of the risk that is coming, the punishment that's going to come, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to make some changes. He doesn't make them all for you. God has no puppets or robots. He will supernaturally help you. But he's going to expect you to use the brain that you were given. And there's a reason he says you need to do something with what you hear. Men, some of you need to make a decision right now. I need to take some drastic measures. And I need to cut some things off. Because I'm sorry, you're not going to get there without some withdrawal. There, there's a reason it says, what, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The answer to that is no. Do I think I'm going to get better? Can I continue with these processes? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. What's the time frame? Well, there's a lot of variables, but they actually have seen changes in the brain from a, a stage of withdrawal within two to three months. I've known a lot of guys that that's been happy knowledge because I'm thankful it doesn't take as long sometimes by the grace of God. It doesn't take as long to get out. It's not like debt. Man, it sure takes a whole lot longer to get out than it did to get in. I've gotten in some pretty serious debt in about 30 seconds of a signature. It's taken years to get out. And yet in this process, the, the results show it. In as much as two to three months, there can be improvement. And maybe at that time, then, then you can moderate out and you can have some of those things with the right corrections. Maybe you enjoy the ability to think so clearly and to concentrate and focus that you realize, man, think Thank goodness, I don't even want to have, I don't even need to have this stuff anymore. Maybe that'll be the case. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But the result of these kinds of correction is a renewed enjoyment and appreciation for things that matter the most. And because there are more receptors, it's amazing things that used to provide only this much dopamine, uh, boy, the, the mind is just very content with because the measurement is different. Things that matter most don't matter because they produce dopamine. 
They matter because they have spiritual and eternal significance and they are fulfilling in a different part of, of the brain in the process than dopamine. And dopamine is only one of the things that brings satisfaction. But things of eternal significance go even deeper than what dopamine provides. But it will not register if the brain, if the brain has to have all the dopamine and the receptors have been reduced. And so you need to go through a period of abstinence and withdrawal like Jesus said so that you can allow them to return back to normal. And then some things that really used to have some significance will once again. And some of these meaningful things matter because they affect areas that are not as superficial as dopamine. I remember learning this lesson with vacation with our kids. I, uh, my oldest son Daniel's a sophomore at Heartland right now and Samuel's 15 and Emily's 14. And I fell into the trap of thinking, man, we got to go on the best vacation we can ever come up with. And I saved up money and money and money and took them to Virginia. And uh, we went to some theme parks around there. And we did all this fun stuff. And, and they, had, they had a good time. And yet, a few years ago, in, in that process, we, we uh, started a plan in which we would go to a little town in Colorado, up in the mountains of Colorado, and uh, with my parents. And we'd go there, and Dad would get a condo. You know, we went to this little town and, and got the same condo every year and the, the same city streets right there and nothing really changed in this town. And, and uh, we got the process of doing this every year and then we did the Virginia thing. And so then I asked the kids, I said, well, what do y'all want to do next year? Because we can, we've done the Virginia thing, we can go back to, we can go to Chicago because we've done some, a lot of fun things. There's so much to do in, in Chicago. And, and you know, after several years, of doing the Colorado thing and just doing the same thing over and over and over again. They said, Dad, can we go back to Colorado? And I tell you, God used that to convict me to realize, man, I'm, I'm the one trying to think that they got to have all this dopamine-producing stuff, and yet they begin to value some of the things that were done over and over and over again that had transcended dopamine. And they realized, and as I began to ask them, I said, well, what, what do you mean? And they didn't know what they were saying, but they said, there's not all this other stuff to do, and we just get to spend time with you because we don't, there's not all this other stuff that we're focused on. I began to realize some of those things provide so much depth that dopamine can't touch. And man, some of you have lost sight of those activities. And you're so caught up in the superficial and feeling good for a little while. There's a whole avenue of life. I mean, when's the last time you're able to look at a mountain and say, good night? It's incredible. When's the last time you stopped and looked up at the stars and thought, man, what's God saying there? That I can't even fathom all that. When's the last time you've been able to pick up the Word of God and read a few verses and it just jumps out? And it wasn't an iPad. It wasn't a video. It didn't have to be Passion of the Christ portrayed with all the blood and guts and all of that. I'm telling you, black text on a white page under the illumination of the Holy Spirit can provide some depth that nothing else can touch. If you've ever known in your life truly what it is to fellowship with God, you know nothing touches it. And so why am I still attracted to the dopamine? It's that flesh. But you need to go through some withdrawal long enough for those receptors to return to normal. That's the first thing that has to happen. Second, this is fascinating, the prefrontal cortex has to be strengthened. 
I mean, this is obvious based on what we said before, but that white matter and gray matter has to be returned so that it can bring back some of the things that we lost. Let me remind you some of the things that were lost, except let me say them in the positive. If the prefrontal cortex can be strengthened and white matter and gray matter can be increased, let me remind you the things that it then helps. It increases impulse control. And it enables you to not just listen to the limbic system. Remember, the limbic system is a part the animals have, and they act like animals for a reason. They don't have the prefrontal cortex and the ability to reason that God gave to human beings that represents his image. So they have the limbic system, and so all they can do is, I mean, what feels good or what they're conditioned to do, and the limbic system is saying, go for it. Remember, the prefrontal cortex is what is saying, stop and think about this first, and don't, ju don't just react to what's there. All right. So this white matter and gray matter, when it's increased, it, it helps your impulse control. It's, it's valuable to increase your ability to pursue a long-range goal. There's a reason that, that goals can be important, and it is a, it's a biblical thing because um, you're not getting instant gratification. You're looking for something down the road, and the reason, this, whether you're talking retirement, whether you're talking about some ministry decisions, you have this goal down there, and it takes accomplishing a little bit today and a little bit tomorrow, and it's not a dopamine-producing activity. So that white matter and that gray matter enables you to not have to follow impulse, and you find that, man, I can actually achieve a goal a little bit easier. You see how it all ties together? And, and the, the difficulty of following the dopamine third, it helps to assess risk even more. When that white matter and gray matter increase, it, it helps you to say, this is a risky activity, and I need to see how risky this is so I don't do this, so I don't go into this. Another one, it increases concentration and focus. The last one, it strengthens planning and problem solving. Now listen, you're thinking, ah, oh, this is all psychobabble. No, it's not. God wants you to be able to have a plan so that, because you realize a plan's not a bad thing. All it means is I'm not just acting on impulse. I'm actually thinking, okay, here's what I need to do, and, and, and a plan is okay, and, and problem solving. Those are the benefits of, of white matter and gray matter being increased. So how do you do that? How do you restore and improve cortex matter? Well, focusing attention on something that isn't hijacked by dopamine. It's by simply deciding, okay, I'm going to put some activities in my life that are not dopamine producing, and I'm, I'm going to start, whether I have to start really small and then build up, I'm going to put this in my schedule and there's some fascinating studies, and let me tell you at least four places that back these studies. I'm not going to give you all the details. You can study it. Denmark, some studies out of Denmark are just phenomenal on the two things I'm getting ready to tell you. There's some studies from some of the universities and, and uh, some of the neuroscience centers in Atlanta, and Harvard has backed this up. Some of the studies of neuroscience at UCLA all demonstrate what I'm getting ready to tell you. There are two particular activities that they have found are the most effective at increasing white matter and gray matter. The first is memorization. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Memorization is not dopamine producing. It's not fun. And yet it's extremely valuable. 
And especially when the content is the Word of God. I mean, memorization, period, helps. But there's something, it, it, there's a way that God designed memorization to somehow cause this white matter and gray matter to strengthen little by little by little. It's been a, especially in studying this, it's been even more of a, of a desire and a practice of mine. And, and here's a good way to use a smartphone, by the way, is I have a, I have a, a, a set of flashcards on the smartphone of different things. And one of them is the names of all of, the, of our children. And, uh, and I have 176 names that of our, of our children in the church. And I go through those every other day just so I can be sure and, and memorize all the names of the kids. And I, I have sets of verses and Man, I tell you, I'm so, I'm so wicked, I have such a weak mind. i got to go through the minor prophets all the time so that when Brother McCracken preaches on Zechariah that I don't have to spend half the message looking for Zechariah. So, I mean, all of these things to memorize and go through them. I'm telling you, get into a process of memorization. And I know you're probably, you were looking for some rocket science. God didn't design it that way. He said, I want you to hide your word, hide my word in your heart. And there's a reason that will help you not to sin. And you say, well, it's just the spiritual truth. Oh, God's deeper than that even. And he says, I'm going to actually make it to where if you'll memorize my word, I'm going to be doing some stuff in your brain that helps you in areas you didn't even imagine, won't even affect the very verse itself. You just memorize my word, and I'm going to do some incredible things for you. The second one, and this is one of the largest studies out of UCLA and Harvard, meditation. And they're not completely thinking, meditating on the things that, that we are. But they are finding an incredible difference. In as little as 11 hours of meditation, they literally can scan the brain 11 hours after meditating on something that was not dopamine producing. And they can actually notice after 11 hours a small increase in white or gray matter and the prefrontal cortex being expanded a little bit by meditating Meditators regularly show remarkably greater white and gray matter than non-meditators. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. There's the meditation, uh, the memorization, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And what did he say the result was? That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Those aren't just words, men. It's God's word. It's always been there. It's the reason that, that men for ages, if they would just do what the Bible says, they didn't have to have all this knowledge. We just have the ability to see it. And for a Christian to be prosperous and to make, make the way successful, this, this is neat. I love this. It's amazing that Christian men, when they do what the Bible says, so many areas of their life are better. They don't just have better marriages. They don't just have, I mean, their, their children maybe follow the Lord or they see some differences there. Uh, they can be actually better businessmen. And this very verse says, listen, if you'll memorize my word and you'll meditate on it, it will help you to do the things. It will give you the discipline to do the things in the scripture. And then it will make your way prosperous and you'll even have success because it's affecting the whole brain that affects everything that you do. And you say, well, they're just lucky. They just get lucky in all those areas. Maybe not. Maybe there's just some practices that are there that they're not so wrapped up in dopamine-producing activities. 
sustained focus and concentration on something not otherwise stimulating. What better to focus on than the truths of unlimited depth in that scripture? I mean, let me explain it this way, literally. Find some activities that have some meaning and some value and get them in your schedule on a regular basis and refuse to not do them. I mentioned this in a message I preached at Southwest a while back and, and in Denver this past week that I, I love the example of, uh, of Brother Davison's preaching. One of the premier preachers of our time, most of you that heard him would say that, yeah, he has to be one of the premier preachers. And you think, how does he do that? Well, he'll, he'll tell you, since, I forget the year, I think since 91, he's read the Bible through over 90 times. Gets up every morning and reads a certain amount and then reads a certain amount at night. Do you realize after the first time, he didn't read anything new? It's been, a, it's been 22 years since he read a new chapter, a new verse, a new character. He's read over and over and over and over again. And it's fascinating how such tedious repetition produces such freshness in preaching. I'll tell you, one of the best things I did for my sons a few years ago is our bagel trip. Every Monday morning, unless I'm out preaching somewhere, every Monday morning, started with Daniel, and he and I would, just he and I together, we'd go about 6.30 or 7, and we'd go to a bagel shop, and, and I, I put it the first thing in the week so that it wouldn't get overtaken with, with schedule and church member needs and everything else, and Daniel could always count on that's my time with my dad. We'd take an hour and an hour and a half. I wouldn't preach to him. I, we, we might not even talk for half of it. He might sit there and read the sports page. But it was a regular activity that was done over and over and over and over again. And my son will tell you one of the most impactful things in his life with his dad. No dopamine. Just some time together. And God's blessed that. I didn't have any great wisdom to impart to him. And I'm telling you, there, there's a reason that so many messages, you just, you get tired of it, and, but so many messages come back, read the word of God every day. Pray every day. There's a reason for that. It might be one of the reasons that you can't do that. You've got so many dopamine-producing activities. You've, you've lost the joy and the satisfaction of taking black text on a white page and reading a few verses, trying to memorize something and meditate on it. And I know, I know what some of you are thinking. I can't do it because it's boring. That's the problem. You're going to have to seek enough wisdom from the Holy Spirit to say, to decide, okay, I'm going to put this in my schedule. And I'm going to do it over and over and over again. And I'm going to do it even when it's boring. And I'm going to do it when I don't get anything out of it. Because I, I know that God will honor it. His word will be true. And if I'll do what I'm supposed to do, and I'll, I'll accomplish the things that he wants me to accomplish as far as just, I'll read just this little bit. Start with a little bit. And then the, the next day, do a little bit. If you need to do just a little bit of time per week, start something and do it regularly. And, don't, and try not to fail at it. And if you start small enough, you'll have some small victories. And they lead to bigger victories and bigger victories, and God will be true exactly to what he said. Just establish some routines. There's a reason that we ought not be so against tradition. 
Now, I know there's some traditions that are bad traditions. We will not do them. I'm not lifting up tradition for the sake of tradition, but I'm saying there's some benefit when we realize sometimes one of the greatest things that will give your kids stability is having family traditions because it's something they can count on being the same year after year after year, and at a time of change, one of the reasons people end up appreciating timeless church or timeless tradition that they're not erased among all the other things that we can do is because it gives them a sense of stability in such a time of change. And they realize there's something out there that transcends every trend. And I'm telling you, kids grew up in a family like that that realized, man, we have traditions. It's amazing the stability it gives a child. Now, you're in Genesis 39. I want to end with this. It's going to take a moment, but then, but then we'll be done. Genesis 39, obviously, this is a temptation text. It deals with a, a potential sexual sin on, in the life of Joseph. And we all know the text, and probably every preacher here is, has preached it before. And, and it's very easy. In fact, it's even acceptable that when you go and realize, okay, here's Joseph, and he's in his master's house, and he's come out of his brother's, you know, abusing him by selling him off to some, some foreign traders. And he's in this house, and He's been entrusted with a lot, but Potiphar's wife comes to him and tempts him. And so as we get down into the text, then we find out that he's in the house by himself one day, and, and as she comes in and she tempts him. And it's very easy to go to that section and to say, okay, here's how Joseph resisted the temptation. He resisted it by, and it will be hard on him. We say, well, he probably shouldn't have been in the house by himself, and, and he should have adjusted that. Or, or if you're by yourself, you've got to be careful how you deal with that. And, and then he was willing to flee, and he was willing to leave his garment. And I know all of those things, and I've preached all of those things, and they're all beneficial. But if we're not careful, we'll turn what Joseph's success was into a strategy for us to follow. The problem is, or not the problem is, the, the benefit is, the text actually gives us his mindset before it ever gives us the strategy. And he followed that strategy because there was something going on in his mind. And the text tells us that. Look at verse 8. After Potiphar's wife says, lie with me, cast, cast her eyes upon him, he says in verse 8, but he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There's none greater in his house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. And so he concludes, based on what he just said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So he considered it wick wickedness, but it's based on what he just said. But we need to really understand what he just said. Notice this. Notice how he stresses how much he's been given. He says, behold, verse 8, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. He doesn't even know everything that, that he's put under, under my, I mean, he's given, he's committed all that he hath to my hand. That all is a big word there. I mean, everything the master had, he said, Joseph, I want you to take care of. He says in the beginning of verse 9, there's none greater in this house than I. And he's not meaning character. He's talking about authority. His master's gone at that point. He says, listen, I'm, I'm the authority. And he says, this is how much I've been given. But notice what he says next. He says, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. You know what he's emphasizing now? How little he's been denied. So what Joseph is thinking, ma'am, I've been given this much. 
My master's given me this much. And he's denied me this much. And do you know how big a sin it would be for me to get my focus on what he's denied me? And off of all that he's given me? How could I do something so wicked? And because of, with that mindset, then Joseph is able, when the time of temptation comes, he's able to say, I'm not going to do this. And he's able to flee. He didn't get that ability at the moment. He had a mindset that was there that refused to emphasize what he didn't have above what he did have. And refused to elevate that which he would be, could become discontent with over his contentment. It could be one of our greatest areas of temptation and the reason that we struggle with this is because we need the dopamine rush and we become discontent with what we have and what we've been given. All of us have the struggles we do because two people lost sight of that a long time ago. They'd been given everything. One tree. Oh, but the rush from something new. Adam and Eve. Look what you have. Yeah, that's kind of boring. This is new. We really need this. This will give us something we don't have. And and God designed the brain Satan was able, in the way of a serpent, able to come to them and put the focus on what they didn't have instead of all that they did have. And they messed up by taking what they hadn't been given. And any time we stress what we lack over what we have, sir, you're a prime target for temptation. You get your eyes off your wife that God has given you and you begin to emphasize what you don't have, you're in trouble. Now, maybe one of the greatest deterrents to temptation, Joseph would say, is just take what you have and don't get bored with it. Don't always be looking for a dopamine rush and adrenaline. We live in a culture that creates desire, creates want, and it gets our eyes on so many things that we don't have and we think we need because they produce a rush. And so much sexual sin and pornography is people becoming discontent with what they have. A lot of crimes are committed, a lot of job decisions, a lot of debt. We've already talked about so much of that. Paul taught us to be content in whatever state we're in. And maybe he didn't understand the brain completely but it's still catered to what God had designed in our brains. So, man, I want to ask you, you need to consider some adjustments somewhere. Are you willing to admit, it may not even be pornography, it can be in so many other areas, but to say, well, I, I really am kind of addicted to stimulation or novelty, or maybe you at least see the early bits of it, not concentrating well, or you're discontent, or not motivated, maybe something like that. And maybe this is a, a little bit of time that God said, hey, I, I want to present something to you from a little bit different direction to help you 
stay focused on things that maybe you think are boring, but that are gifts from God. And learn to be content with those so that you don't have to get your eyes over here. Is there anything like that in your life? Maybe some men here completely addicted. And, and it's like, it's been tough even being here. Maybe you couldn't even resist last night and you had to go look at something. I don't know. I'd have to believe there's men like that here. Some of you, maybe the innocence you think of video games. It's just become such a huge fascination. Listen, we are at our worst when we are under the power of anything but God himself. And it might be that you've allowed some biological changes to take place. You may not be as successful as Joseph in avoiding temptation.